these last couple of weeks, I feel like I'm starting out just kind of bumming you out. Um, and, and I was thinking about this because it does seem like there's a lot of tough things going on. I mean, absolutely, this is good news. Communion, good news. We're forgiven. But there's some painful things in life. Um, and also, the truth is, is I, I believe that Satan attacks when we try to live for him. Right? Haven't you noticed that in your life? The times when you're really trying to get things together, it seems like you're just bombarded. You would think that, well, I'm trying to do things for God, so he should just bless me and everything should fall into place. But the truth is, is usually the opposite happens. You start pursuing God and suddenly you get attacked. Why? Because the Bible says there truly is an enemy. There's a real enemy out there. And, it, and, and the, the truth is, is he's going to attack you when you're on the verge of doing something great with your life or when you as a church are about to do something great in this world. And I believe that's exactly what's happening. And it's kind of, there's the, the good side of it is it's, it's nice to be worthy of persecution. Um, it, it's kind of like, you, you know, we have a basketball league here at the church and we play over at the, the, that ranch you see me over there. And, uh, and so we have all these teams and, and I've been playing for the, for the last few years and really stinking it up the last couple of years. But the last game of the season this year, I was on fire. I was just on fire and I've been playing basketball my whole life, you know, just, just not, nothing organized, but but for the first time in my life, I heard a statement on the court that I'd never heard my entire life. I heard someone on my team say, just get the ball to Francis. <laughs> I was like, what? did I just hear that? And, and I just, you know, kept playing like I hear that all the time, you know. But, but you know, but I heard that, you know, just, just on the side. Someone was just saying to one of the teammates, just get the ball to Francis. He's hot. I'm like, no way. And, and, and pretty soon, it, it, it's like they started guarding me. The other team guarded me. They were covering me, you know, and they were, they were kind of double teaming me at times. It's like, wow, this is cool. You got two people to try to cover this machine. And, and I... I'm just going, and it was an honor. It's like, wow, look at that! They're 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 double covering me. I don't, I never knew what this felt like, and but it's it, it's it was it was it was cool, and I still scored a lot. Oh, it was so cool. Anyways, um, my point. What was my point? Um, I just want to tell you how good I am. No, my my point is my point was it's when you're scoring that the opposition realizes they need to attack. You know, back when, you know, when I, I'm having a bad game, they just leave me alone. And, uh, and yet, it's, it's, it's true in the spiritual sense. If you're not doing anything for the sake of the kingdom, why would Satan want to attack you? <laughs> you're fine as it is. You just call yourself a Christian and you don't do squat. I'll leave that guy alone. But you start living the life that God's called you to, it's like, okay, we better put a stop to this. We better go after them. And like the Bible says, you know what, you gotta persevere through that. You make it through those trials, okay? Greater is he who is in you than he who is of the world. You know, Christ said, look, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna stand against it. And you claim those promises and go, you know what? You're not taking me down. You do that personally and we do that as a church and we go, you know what? We're doing some great things here. In fact, today, today is a huge day for the church. 
If you remember in February, I explained the budget and I, I realize, you know, people have told me that I didn't really explain it right um, because our fiscal year begins in July, July 1, which is today. And and I at some services, I explained that and some services I didn't. So some had the impression that the budget began in January, you know, like it was like retroactive two months. Uh, rather than it's July 1st to July 1st. And we made a commitment to Children's Hunger Fund. We said we're going to give you a million dollars this year. And so July 1st, um, we just wrote a check for a quarter million dollars to give to Children's Hunger Fund today. So that's huge. Man. That's just nuts. I mean, when's the last time you gave away a quarter million dollars? You know, and every three months we'll be giving them a quarter million dollars to go to hungry kids around the world. And we're not going to make a big presentation over there and bring a big cardboard check. Here, Dave. You know, it's just... But I wanted you guys to know because you're the ones that, that are giving. And I know some of you have totally sacrificed to give here. And I want you to know that half of everything that comes in is going to leave Cornerstone. And we've made some commitments to people like Children's Hunger Fund where we're saying, you know what? We so believe in caring for the needy children around the world. And the way you guys are doing it through the local church and you're giving the gospel to them that, that we, we want to support this. And you guys would distribute it better than we would. And so we trust them with them and give it, give it to them. And many of us have traveled overseas with Children's Hunger Fund and we've seen what they do and we've checked out the organization and we know it's above board. That's why we have this confidence. And I just wanted you to to have the joy of knowing, you know what? You gave to that. You gave to that. What you've been giving over the last few months, it's going to this. And now you have the satisfaction of knowing, you know what? I helped some starving kids. I got food to them and I got the gospel to them. And that's just an awesome feeling that that it's part of the reward of giving. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it's a blessing because you can sit here right now and go, you know what? I helped feed some starving kids today. That's a great feeling. And then in addition to that, God says, and there's an eternal reward for that. And when you get to heaven, you're going to see the results of that. That, That's that's just, that's crazy. Every dime I give, everything I sacrifice, every every chair I move, every kid I teach in in Sunday school, every, uh, you know, those of you who, who help the cars, you know, get parked, every parking lot attendant, every usher who's passing out, every little thing you do, God says, I see it. And I will reward it. At the end, you're going to realize you were, you got the, you got the better end of the deal. Your little sacrifice is going to achieve for you this eternal glory, this eternal reward that far outweighs any pain you went through on that earth, any suffering. And, and I don't know if you still think that way, that everything I do has an eternal reward. And the crazy thing, and what I'm going to talk about right now uh, in Colossians 3, is do you realize that how you work, even though tomorrow many of you will go to a workplace, that you think in your mind, this has nothing to do with spiritual things. You're wrong. The Bible says even the way you work at your workplace, even if it's something that has nothing to do with God, it can achieve for you eternal Reward, And you need to realize that. See, sometimes we separate our Christianity from everyday life. And, and what Jesus has been teaching, what God teaches here in Colossians, is that, look, don't separate your Christianity from your relationship with your wife. 
Don't separate your Christianity from your relationship with your kids or your parents. Don't separate your relationship. Now he's talking to slaves and masters. He says, look, if you're a slave, look, don't separate your being a slave from your relationship with God. This has everything to do with your relationship with God. See, some people, when you read this passage in Colossians 3, some people say, well, this doesn't really apply to our jobs today. And I go, no way. I I think it absolutely applies. I think it applies more to us than it did to the slaves back then. The reason is, and I'm guessing there's no slaves in the room, no masters in the room. The reason is, okay, first of all, slavery was different back then. Okay, Half of the people, it's estimated, in the Roman Empire were considered, quote-unquote, slaves. Uh, About 60 million of them. Now, when you hear the word slave, I think you immediately think of what happened in America, you know, different movies you saw, Amazing Grace, well, whatever. Roots. uh, You guys, it wasn't... I'm I'm dating myself. Um, It's not like that in the Bible times. Some of these slaves, you understand, they were doctors, they were teachers, uh, the household slaves would instruct and teach the children. Some of them were even in charge of disciplining the children. Okay, so, so it's not like what you may think in your mind. They were slaves because the Roman Empire had taken over their people group or whatever, and so those of the Roman Empire were over them. They were authority over them, and yet they were given prestigious jobs. They were doing important things, obviously, as, as teaching and, and being the doctors. Now, what happened was these slaves that were under the authority of these masters, once they became Christians, the Christians taught that now there's no masters or slaves. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. But Christ is all and is in all. Right? We're all one in Christ. We're all equal in Christ. So in their mind, they go, well, if we're equal, then you know what? Forget my master. I, I, I only have one master, and that's God. And what God teaches in this passage is he goes, no way. That is such the wrong attitude. The right attitude is you ought to be the greatest slave around if you're a slave. You should, you should obey your master so much that you stand out as the most obedient slave, the most submissive slave. In fact, in Titus it says you do that so that your message would become attractive. Because you'd be such a hard worker that your message becomes attractive. See, and the reason why I say it applies to us even more is because if, if anyone would, would have a right to rebel, you would think the slaves should have a right to rebel. Because many of us would argue, well, that's unethical to have someone own you. And so you would think they would have a right to say, okay, you know what? I should not be owned by you. I should have the right to live as I want. And to them, Jesus says, no, you don't. You're in that position, so if I allowed you to be in that position, you do it to the best of your ability. And you, you come under that master in such a great way. And so if that's true for them, then for us who would say that we're in a more fair situation, I think the principles apply even more. Then if I have a boss over me, I better be an amazing worker for him. If I'm getting paid and everything else, I, I better apply these principles even more. And so in your Bibles, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. And and I want to talk about the way that you work, whether it's in the home, 
or if you're in a corporate business or whatever you do tomorrow, I want to make sure we're applying these principles. It says in Colossians 3, verse 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So Paul addresses the people back then and everyone was either a slave or master pretty much. And so he says to them, look, if you're a slave for, you know, your earthly master, serve him like you're serving the Lord. Then he goes, if you're a master, you've got to remember, you know what? You're serving the Lord. You better treat your slaves with what is fair, what is right, because God's watching. There's no exceptions. I don't care if you're a master. I don't care if you're a slave. You need to do things as unto God. And I, I bring this up. Um, today and and i gotta be honest with you this passage is about you working so hard for you as a believer for me as a believer that we take our job so seriously that we work as though we're working for the lord but as i say that there's a skeptical side of me maybe pessimistic even where i go is anyone really going to do this like are you really going to go to work tomorrow and work so much harder because I think sometimes we we find ways to make excuses for not obeying the word of God. Um, you're going to see that the Bible clearly tells us to have a certain type of work ethic. But what's weird is I think sometimes we come to church and we want to hear what the message is from the word of God. And then afterwards decide if we're actually going to do it. See that? That's weird. That's not right. That's like when I go, hey, can you do me a favor? And you go, what is it? Right? You want to know first before you, which is fine. That's fine with me, you know. But we almost treat God's word in the same way. When I go, hey, I'm going to give you some commands from the Lord. You're going to do it? And you go, well, read it first. It's like, why? Why? With the Lord, shouldn't we just accept that he is the master and whatever he says goes? And so are we going to actually do this? Because I've seen people make excuses for why they don't obey. It's like, okay, if I tell my two oldest daughters, okay, Rachel, Mercy, here's a plot of land in our backyard. Uh, I want you to pull every weed out of this spot right here, okay? That's your chore for this week. And I walk away. Let's say half hour later, I come back, I go, what are you guys doing? They're sitting there with books open, hanging out. And I'm like, I told you to pull weeds. And as I'm going, oh, we're doing a five-week study on weeds. <laughs> okay. And Rachel wrote a song about weeds. Sing it, Rach. You know, oh, weeds. You know, and, and on and on. 
And I'm like, oh, that's that's great, you guys. And they're like, oh, we're so convicted about weeds. We're praying about weeds disappearing. And I go, well, that's great, you guys. But that's not what I asked for. Okay, all I said was just pull them out of the ground, you know, and I feel like sometimes as Christians, we do that with the word of God. It's like, oh, man, that was a good message. But really, what is a slave? And let's do a study on how Christians ought to work in the workplace. You guys just work. okay? just do it. Just obey it as he says, you know what? Work, work in this way, work in this manner. Yes, Christians ought to be the best workers out there. We should. That's what we ought to be. If you have conformed to the pattern of work that your co-workers are putting out, then you're missing it. Remember the Bible says don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you don't look at, oh, how hard is he working? Let me just be equal to that. No, he says, as a Christian, I want you to work so hard for your boss. Even though it may seem mundane, like an everyday task, I want you to work so hard for him. See, he says, he says, slaves, obey your masters in everything. And he says, do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor. Does this describe you true or false? Think about your job. If you're a student, think about the way you are at school. This applies to you. I mean, Christians ought to be the greatest students. They ought to give their teachers such an amazing effort that they stand out and it makes your message attractive. True or false, you work hard even when no one is watching. Think to yourself, is that a true statement about me? Even if no one notices, man, I just work hard. It says also, he says, work with sincerity of heart. That's interesting that God cares that you are sincere about your work. True or false, you genuinely care about the success of your company that you work for. Do you genuinely care? Do you work with sincerity of heart? It says also, you're supposed to work with reverence for the Lord, is the phrase. Do you work with reverence for the Lord? The idea is that, that, that there's a fear. There's not a fear of your earthly boss. There's this fear of the Lord. True or false, you work as though God is looking over your shoulder. So that's what Paul's telling the slaves to do. No, don't worry about your earthly master. You fear God. Think about God is watching your job performance right now. He's saying this to slaves. I mean, remember, they're not doing anything spiritual here. It's just whatever they're told to do. And God says, I care about what you do. You do it out of a fear of me. You do it with sincerity of heart. And you do it even when no one else is watching. Fourth, it says, and work at it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Question number four. True or false, you produce excellent work because you work with all your heart. Whatever you do, you clean the house, you're investing money, performing surgery. Is it true or false that you do excellent work and you work at it with all your heart? And then finally it says, you know, since you know you'll receive an inheritance. Isn't that crazy? It says, you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
Did you know that? That you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord, an eternal reward for how you work. Do you think that way in the workplace? Are you motivated by heaven? True or false? You work hard at work because you are motivated by eternal rewards. Are we really going to do this? See, there's so many excuses. I, I've seen people who in the workplace, they figure, well, my, my boss isn't a Christian, so I have a hard time really serving him because, you know what, why am I making money for him? He's just going to spend it on stupid things, drugs, whatever, his, his, his elaborate lifestyle. Why am I working so hard to help his lifestyle? He's not even a Christian. So you, you justify your laziness. What's worse is a lot of times when you do have a boss that's a Christian, I've seen Christians try to take advantage of that and they figure, you know what, he's going to forgive me. You know, we go to church together, it's no big deal. You know what, he knows I was late, you know, up late praying and so I'll just say that and come in late. You know, and no, man, I've had Christian bosses go, what do I do with these Christians? Who they just expect more time off to do Christian things and go to Christian activities or whatever else. And I, I, I gotta treat, you know, and they just, they just figure I gotta keep forgiving. I gotta keep showing grace. It's like they're taking advantage of my Christianity. You guys, the Bible says it doesn't matter what your boss is like. You have one ultimate boss. And you need to work as though you're working for him. If you're a builder, the idea is, is in verse 23, it says, whatever you do, you work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That means if you're building a house, you need to think in your mind. Okay, if you're a builder, you have to think to yourself, okay, I'm putting this roof on and Jesus is about to inhabit this house. I'm building this house for Jesus. Do you think that way? He says, you've got to act as though you're working for the Lord, whatever you do. If you're an attorney, the idea is, okay, my defendant, someone's trying to sue Jesus, you know, and I am going to defend, I am going to win this case for him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for all my heart, with all my heart. It's everything. I, I, I heard about Elizabeth Elliot, who's an elderly lady who, who her, her husband died as a missionary, and, but she, she just talks about her life, and she goes, even in the home, she goes, every toilet I scrub, I think to myself, I am going to do this for the glory of God. It's this idea, if you're a janitor, it's the idea of believing that Jesus is the next one that's going to sit on that toilet. Okay, how would you clean it? Okay, whatever you do. You flip burgers, you know what? Jesus is going to eat that double-double. You're going to have all the cheese on one side and, you know, and the onions. No, you're going to, it's, it's this idea of... Man, no way. Jesus is coming in and I'm going to make this for him. It's this idea of excellence in everything that you do. And whatever you do, do you think that way? Like, whatever I do, I'm doing it for the Lord. Is that the way you're currently living? Because, you guys, the truth is, is, is God wants the best music to come from Christians because they've worked with all their heart. The best musics, the musics, the best uh, songs, the best food coming out of Christian restaurants. And, and so often we're not known for that. So often Christians are kind of slacking on the job and saying, well, it's because I'm, uh, you know, I've got other things to do. I'm trying to witness to people. You guys, that's the worst thing you could do. 
is slack on your job to go witness? Because you're destroying your witness by slacking on the job. He tells those slaves, work so hard so that you make your message attractive. You understand that? You work so hard that it's different. That means whatever you do. I don't know what you guys are, are going to do, do Monday morning, but events, you're going to put in an air-conditioned system, you know, in, in someone's house. You've got to believe that's Jesus' house. I don't want him to sweat. I don't want him to sweat one. I mean, if you knew this were Jesus' house, how would you put in that air conditioning system or the windows that you're going to put into his house? You're going to mess that up. You're going to mess up the seal or, or, or uh, oh, Chris, you sell curtains. You know, that's, that's very masculine of you. It, it's, it's this, but it's this idea of, of, man, what kind of curtains would Jesus want, right? Window fashions. Ah, sorry, I had to bring that up. But, but it's just this whole idea of whatever I do, you know what? I'm going to do it for the Lord. No, it's called window fashions. It's blinds. It's everything. I just like to throw out curtains. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, do we, do we really think this way? Do we do things with excellence, excellence, excellence? I want to show you a video right now. And it's about a couple of people who are living their life with excellence. A couple of people that I'm proud to call Christians, brother, sister. Um, so just, just look at the screen. Cheap shoe giver, and I have absolutely no qualification besides uh, uh, compassion for, for little kids like these guys and wanting to give them shoes. A guy named Bob Deadman, a very successful entrepreneur at Dallas, once told me, he said, The more you give, the more you live. When I had the idea of Tom's seven months ago, I was so obsessed with it, uh, and it just struck such a chord on me with me uh, that, that I couldn't do anything else. Woke up cold one cheese. His shoe company with a soul. I felt like there was something missing in my day-to-day life. So I quickly opened the wardrobe. Pulled out some jeans and a t-shirt that seemed plain. Top it off with a pair of old shoes. People laughed at Blake when his idea was to start a shoe company basically where he gave away shoes for every pair that was that was sold. People laughed and said that was ridiculous. It's more about putting other people ahead of you. A warm summer afternoon in 1967, a 17-year-old goes swimming with her sister on the Chesapeake Bay and just swims right out to this raft, anchored a few yards offshore, pulls herself up onto it, takes this stupid dive into very shallow water. I knew right then and there that, um, boy, my life had changed forever. My doctor said, Johnny, you are going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life without use of your hands or your legs. 
God, I can't live like this. I will not live this way. Because I couldn't hold razors or push pills down my throat, I knew I couldn't end my life physically. So I was strongly tempted to end my life emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I was strongly tempted to just lay in bed, turn on the air conditioner, tell my mother to turn out the lights, and just shut the door. Finally, in that darkness behind that closed door, I realized I can't live like this. God, show me how to live. My only anchor was the Word of God. First Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks. And like a suction cup, I just pressed myself up against that verse, okay, God, I am going to give thanks today. Small things, small steps, moving forward one bit at a time. And oh my goodness, as I exercise this little bit of obedience and giving thanks, my faith stretches, it grows, my perspective widens, the world gets bigger as I take bigger steps and thank God for more things, greater things, and life begins to change. And that was a wonderful day when I opened the door and wheeled out of that dark bedroom and began to embrace life. All right. Well, I'm here with uh, one of my heroes. Um, <laughs> yes, hero, you made it to the hero list. Uh, seriously, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, um, for those who don't know, has written 35 books or so. Somewhere. She's, uh, her, her book, Johnny, actually sold over 3 million copies. She's distributing wheelchairs all around the world. She's on board with Condoleezza Rice. Um, she's uh, She travels, she speaks, she paints. Um, Whoa. You do. It's a lot of stuff. You do a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, she was up till one o'clock last night doing ministry. I mean, just nonstop. And so it's just an honor to be here and to interview you. It's easy for me because I sit down. Oh, okay. That, right. that must be the secret. Yeah, still, <laughs> still really. crazy. Um, now, I, when I think of you um, beyond the achievements and everything else, I, I think of you, um, and I said it at lunch, I mean, really, you're the most spirit-filled person I know. Um, I spent two minutes with you, and I see the Holy Spirit just, mm. just in your life, and, and I'm not the only one. Everyone who knows you says the same thing, that you're always praising God, you're always filled with joy, you know, from when we see you, I mean, maybe mm. you're faking it all. Mm. <laughs> but no, I'll tell you what, I just go, how, do you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you stay just so joyful and so filled with the Spirit all the time? Well, I'm not faking it. <laughs> I know. I, uh... I always think of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, which says um, the apostle had been going through some really tough times in the province of Asia, and he was writing the church in Corinth, telling them, man, we were facing overwhelming pressure far beyond our ability to endure. And then he adds, but these things happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I mean, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't, Hold on to that verse. Yeah. This has happened. Yeah. My quadriplegia, broken neck, 40 years, uh, total paralysis, that I might not rely on my own resources, yeah. but on God. Mm. And so if you see me singing hymns, yeah. or if you see me um, talking scripture or encouraging somebody in Christ, or I have to, or I think I would go crazy. I don't know how people live with hardship and heartache and headaches in this world and not cling to Jesus Christ. And I, I'm proud that he's my psychological crutch. There you go. <laughs> really, yeah, yeah, whatever crutch you want, I want yeah. him always to lean on. And yeah. that's a blessing.
about four years ago, mm -hmm. my sister and I were on a TV show called The Amazing Race. Oh yeah. yeah. You were on that? Yeah. So, <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah. So my sister and I were on The Amazing Race and uh, we lost a million dollars by four minutes. No way. Yeah. Not very really good. It was my fault too. So, uh, but awesome. yeah, after losing a million dollars by four minutes and what I took from that, because that's my first experience outside the world is yeah. I saw a lot of things in the world that I never really understood, yeah. you know, and in places that I had always wanted to go, but never really had, you know, kind of thought, oh, well, I could go there, yeah. like Australia and yeah. Africa yeah, and yeah. all these places. So I made a pact kind of myself that every year I would take a month and because I was my own boss and had my own company, I'd take a month and I would travel to one of these places. And so I went to Belize, I went to uh -huh. Africa, and this year is Argentina. Yeah. It was my third year to do this. So I went to Argentina originally just to experience the country, you know, the, the, I played polo, rode horses, learned how yeah. to tango, worked a little Spanish, like <laughs> just totally took it in. And so it was on the last week of my trip, the fourth yeah. week, I decided to do volunteer work because I felt like there should be a component of that in each yeah. of these one month yeah. trips. And so in the village that I was doing volunteer work in Los Pilatonis, I noticed a lot of the children didn't have shoes. And not only did they not have shoes, but they had really disgusting feet. I mean, they had cuts and they had scrapes and they were infected and they were swollen. And after I started learning more about what they did every day, I found that they had to walk a long way to get fresh water every day. Mm -hmm. And the roads that they walked on were very rocky. And so they were very uncomfortable. And, and I saw this, and it was the first time in my life, you know, growing up in a middle-class family in Texas, not really having to want for anything, this in just really just hardship that I had never anticipated or experienced before. And so my initial thought was, I need to give these kids some shoes. Yeah. But then very quickly, my thought became, okay, I do that once, and who does it again and again? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So my entrepreneur mind switched over and said, okay, is there a way to create a sustainable way to continue to give shoes to people, not only these kids, but people all over the world that don't have shoes? And um, at the same time, I discovered what is very similar to Tom's shoe, but it's called the Alpregata. And the Alpregata is an Argentine farmer shoe that I thought was really cool. And so I kind of took this idea of there's this cool shoe that I think would be people in the U.S. would like that I've never seen before. There's these kids that don't have shoes. And the idea of Tom's came is every time I sell one of these cool Alpregata shoes, I would give one to a child that yeah. doesn't have shoes. And uh, we would provide shoes for tomorrow. Yeah. And that's where the name Tom's comes from okay. is tomorrow. How soon after the accident did you begin doing ministry? Well, uh, once I began to see, because uh, you have to understand, Francis, at first I was depressed. Yeah. At first I was embittered against God. Somebody showed me Hebrews chapter 12, 15, where it says that don't miss the grace God's given you, or else a root of bitterness will not only poison your life, but the lives of everybody around you. And I saw that. When I was in the hospital, I couldn't punch God in the nose, but I sure could punch his people in the nose. And some of them would come into the hospital and I'd, they'd open their Bibles and I'd spitefully rag on them or, and eh, that's what you say. And I felt like throwing up on their shoes when they would say that all things, even this, could fit together into a pattern for good. And I was embroiled when they inferred that my accident perhaps could be an answer to that prayer I had prayed for a closer walk with him. But love tends to wear down yeah. a calloused, angry, bitter heart. And I got tired of poisoning my life with this sour, peevish, small-minded spirit. 
and I began to see that I was poisoning the lives of my mm -hmm. sisters and my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. They were hurting under the weight of my anger. And then I saw that this book, the Bible, oh my goodness, it has answers. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they are. I have no idea where to find them, but I know they're in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. So God helped me find them. And God brought me from my church, a couple of young people who um, just took their Bibles and started leading me through some of the answers. And it made all the difference in the world. So it was after a couple of years. Yeah. And I began to experience peace, and I began to cultivate a thankful spirit after giving thanks for small things like, gee, God, thanks that I didn't break my neck up higher. Thank yeah. you that my friends have not abandoned me. Thank you that my mom and dad are still hanging tough with me. And God gave me this thankful spirit. I became blessed, mm -hmm. I guess. And I thought, I can't keep these blessings to myself. You know how it is. Wow. Yeah. God blesses you, you know, mm -hmm. the old Abrahamic thing. Uh -huh. He's blessed you to make a blessing, be a blessing. You might be a blessing to the nations. So, you know, I, I, I thought, well, I, I got so much. I got peace. I got his perspective. God's showing me where to go. Uh, you know, emotionally, I'm, I'm moving forward. I, I can't keep all this to myself. I got to pass it on. And I, I, I just, when you get those blessings, you want to, pass them on, yeah. get them off your lap and push yeah. them on to somebody else. And I knew there were a lot of quadriplegics in a lot more sad straits than me with no family, no friends. Yeah. And here I've been blessed with them, so yeah. I wanted to help other people who were less blessed. You know, there's a lot of people in the church that feel like, Man, I like they'll hear your story and go, man, I'd love to do something like that, uh, but they don't know what, you know. And, and there's so many people I think that are kind of tired of the way they're living. They yeah. know there's something more, mm -hmm. but they are frustrated because they don't know how to get started. Yeah. What would you say to someone like that? I would say two things. First thing I would say is I don't think you can like seek out to do something like this. I would say the first thing to do is do something that revolves around service. Yeah. I think that, you know, uh, I mean, the people that go with me to Argentina to give away shoes, they don't leave their jobs and become shoemakers. Yeah. But they have this amazing kind of life-changing experience that they bring yeah. back, and now maybe they're doing some volunteer with Habitat for Humanity, yeah. or they're getting involved with, you know, feeding the homeless at their church yeah. or something. So I think that it's kind of like baby steps. I yeah. mean, I initially started selling 200 pairs of shoes. Yeah. So it wasn't like I had any idea that all this was yeah. going to happen. So I think that kind of God will bless your efforts, totally. you know, if that's the, 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 the yeah. you know, kind of the way, the, the path he wants to lead you down. I think people look at something like Tom's maybe now, that, oh, it's just too big of a, yeah. I can't even put my head around that. Totally. But the truth is, you got to remember, 14 months ago, it was me and two interns and 200 pairs of shoes at a desk. Yeah. You know, so, so a lot of people can put their hand around that. Exactly. You know, I mean, I could give you 100 pairs of shoes and yeah. say, you know, um, you know, if you go sell these 100 pairs of shoes, I'm going to go with a village with you this yeah. summer, yeah. and we're going to give 100 kids shoes because yeah. of that effort. And you can understand that. Oh, yeah. You know? so, that's, so I think that in some level, it's not necessarily recreating the wheel or, or changing your entire life, but maybe finding an organization to get involved in where you can have that experience uh, that augments your life. Yeah. And, and then at some point, yeah. some people, it will change their life, and they'll find yeah. that they want to do this full time. Other people, yeah. it'll be like, you know, like a health, I would say like a balanced life. It's like, I work out, you know, and it's, yeah. it 
I don't want to become a personal trainer. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. But I get a lot of joy from that. So I think that's yeah. kind of the way that I've tried to, you know, look at service for a lot of people that get involved at Tom's. Is for some people it is their whole life, but yeah. for a lot of people it's just something that augments yeah. their life. Yeah. Now, what um, what would you say to someone that felt like they couldn't really serve God with their lives because so many difficult things have happened to them? I mean, what would be the first thing you'd say to someone like that who felt like they'd been dealt a bad hand mm -hmm. and therefore either they're angry or they just feel useless or whatever? What, what would be your first word of encouragement? There is always, always, always somebody in some situation who's in more strident circumstances than you're facing right now. God calls us to serve him even on our deathbeds. I mean, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, yeah. I mean, if anybody should have deserved a little time off yeah. from thinking about others, yeah. it should have been the Savior at that point. Mm -hmm. But here he is, racked with pain, naked before everyone, mm -hmm. crucified, and he cares about the guy next to him on the cross, That's this right. guy over here. That's right. It's like, even when he was dying, mm -hmm. He's helping somebody else. That speaks to me. Absolutely. When I'm in bed with a pressure sore, or when I feel like living without hands is just, it's just too hard. God expects me and, and, and enables me and can empower me yeah. to serve him even when we're dying yeah. to self in small little increments each day. So um, nobody has an excuse. That's right. That's we right. really don't. And anyway, <laughs> Everything we do down here on earth, every minute, I mean, God looks at our days as, as a thousand years. I mean, we all know that he looks as a thousand years as a day. Mm -hmm. You know, to the Lord, the last couple of thousand years, only a few days gone by, but he also looks at our days as a thousand years. Right. So every 24-hour slice of time is jam-packed full of opportunity mm -hmm. to invest in eternity and everything we do with those minutes down here on earth will have a direct and an exponential impact on our capacity for joy in heaven, right. our eternal estate, our capacity for worship and service. I don't want to get up there in heaven and look in the rearview mirror and go, oh, why did I waste it? Oh, mm. gee, Lord Jesus, what? why did I just blow it? Mm. I don't want to blow my days. I don't want to waste my sufferings. Mm. I want to believe that every minute down here counts because we are but blips on the eternal screen. It's a sick, dark, diseased world. Sin kills. Hell is real. Mm. But God's merciful and we've got the message wow. to make a difference. How could we sit on our hands? How could we? I mean, we, we just have to serve. I wanted to put those two examples just in your face because they are two people from completely different walks of life. One, a young entrepreneur who just tried something. Another one who's been a paraplegic for 40 years now. But the thing that they have in common is they both have done what they've done so excellent that it's noticed by the world. 
I mean, Johnny Erickson began painting with her mouth and came up with his artwork that, you know, pretty soon Barbara Walters saw and, and the Today Show got a hold of it. And then suddenly the whole world and now, now President Bush is noticing what she's done with the wheelchairs that she's getting to, to people around the world who can't walk. And now she's on a board with Condoleezza. The world is recognizing her. Then you've got this other Christian who just comes up with this idea and goes, maybe I'll make these shoes, but he does it so excellent that now Nordstrom's is selling it. Now Urban Outfitters is selling it. Now Vogue and L and And this is just from 14 months ago. But it's like, let me do something so great that the world notices. And then suddenly they hear, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's like, okay, now I want to hear what you have to say. See, I, I, I bring these guys up because, yeah, I'd love for you to support their ministry. You know, you can go to Johnny. Johnny needs some people to help at some of her retreat centers where they, they put on these retreats for people with disabled children. And she could use some counselors. Log on to johnnyandfriends.org. That'd be great. Support her. I, I want you to support Blake. Great. You know what? Go go to Norsham's. Go to Urban. Where we're selling. I had them set up a booth in our, our lobby, you know, if you want some new shoes. Uh, you know, it's just... Do that. But, but beyond that, my hope was that you would look at these two ordinary people and realize you're in between there somewhere. You're probably not as cool as Blake. And you, know, you probably haven't suffered as much as, as Johnny. And it's like, you know, we're all in these different walks of life. And it's like, what am I going to do? I mean, don't you just, do you ever just go, you know what, Lord, I want to do something great with my life. Like Johnny says, I don't want to get to the end and look in the rearview mirror and go, what in the world did I do with my life? And it starts with being excellent where you are today. Whatever you're doing, you do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. Neither of them knew what was going to happen with what they did. And now they're both changing the world. In the same way, you be faithful tomorrow wherever you go and work at it as though you're serving Jesus Christ. So we're going to have the ushers come forward. We're going to take an offering. We're going to have a time of worship. And uh, during this time, as we sing this last song, if anyone needs some prayer or someone, maybe you go, you know what, I don't understand. Man, I'm seeing these people talk about this relationship with God that compels them. And you just have some questions or maybe you're going through a hard time and you want to find that same joy that, that Johnny has. And I'll be up here by the prayer room with some pastors and elders, um, counselors. If, if you want to pray with someone or if you want to get baptized today, then come forward during this song. But the rest of us, the ushers are going to take an offering and we're going to worship the Lord.